0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Evidence Podcast, the podcast where real people share real stories to show real evidence of a very real God. Recording from Knoxville, Tennessee, I'm your host, Daniel Brooks. And joining me from Danville, Illinois, Coach Jordan Lane.
1: What up? Thought I'd switch it up a little bit.
0: (laughs) Jordan is still dealing with microphone issues, as we talked about last week. So we'll get something started at some point, but I don't think that the audio is that affected. No. No, but also joining us from New Haven, Connecticut, JT Shavers. Hola, bro. Chachos.
1: Yes, we switched it
2: up. Let's go. <laughs> I figured
0: like I couldn't just let it not yes. be part of the podcast at this yes. point. <laughs> when I Thank said your name, JT, it brought me right back to our intro episode where I was like, JT Aloysius Savers. <laughs> Aloysius. Why I said that? I will never know.
2: Yeah, I, I, I don't either. I've never had anybody call me Aloysius. I'm not even 100% sure if I know what that means. But look, it worked for the intro, so It's a I name,
0: love it. man. It's a name. And our true fans know JT Aloysius.
2: But I will always be Aloysius.
0: Yeah,
1: hey, that's right. beautiful. And now I'm Coach Jordan Lang, so that's pretty cool. Huh? Speaking, speaking of bios, just for our listeners to know, um, I was going to make this my positive news, but I have other positive news. So by the time this gets released, I am going to have a new role within my church. So I I guess you could call it upgraded, but I'm going to be a full-time associate pastor. I'm still doing youth ministry, but also adult ministry, which that also means that because of that, I will no longer be a roaster. I actually roasted my last shift today. So that was kind of bittersweet, but yeah.
0: So congratulations on the promotion. Yeah. If I know coffee, it was more bitter than sweet. that that's
1: that's true like like the meme i sent you where the youth pastor said (laughs) to the barista like i'll take a light roast and she said your sermon was basically a ted talk
0: (laughs) Uh, Uh, classic that
2: that made me so happy
0: well i'm so glad that you mentioned the the bios because we i didn't even put the bios in this week yeah yeah Yeah, I, i
2: thought you just decided not to give us our full titles
0: Yeah, Yeah, you said last week that I didn't give myself a bio. So I decided, you know what? None of us get a bio this week. (laughs) Yeah, nobody gets a bio. (laughs) Well,
1: and I still gave myself a bio, so.
0: I appreciate that. That's good. (laughs) That's that's less work on my plate. (laughs) (laughs) Well, something else that I wanted to put at the beginning of our episodes that we haven't done, because who knows when we're recording and when it's worked out. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you the recording date of this episode. It is currently February 23rd, two thousand. 22 when we record we do try to record a week or two ahead of time so our news is sometimes not super current but we also try not to have it super late but with that said this episode is an awesome episode in store for you today and uh, we are just so so grateful for all of our listeners from really all over the world uh, that listen to us and we just want to thank you guys for choosing to hang out with us every friday
1: absolutely (laughs) welcome one and all
0: And it's time for positive news.
1: Yeah, so I'm kind of starting off on a little bit heavier of a note, but I think it's something worth celebrating. So um, on this day, Daniel mentioned that today is February 23rd, and it was just announced yesterday that Travis McMichael, Gregory McMichael, and Roddy Bryan were all convicted of federal hate crimes against Ahmed Arbury which that happened about 2 years ago on February 23rd on this day and though i know that this conviction won't bring ahmed back but it's still a step in the right direction towards justice being practiced here in this world and one story i wanted to bring up especially as a runner that there's something really cool in the running community that we're starting to do on February 23rd, and it's to run 2.23 miles in honor of Ahmed Arbery because that was the date that he was killed. And it's cool, there's a story on CNN about a lady in Pickerington, Ohio that ran 2.23 miles for him. I mean, there's just people all around the world. There's a hashtag surrounding it. And I know it's a serious topic, but I think we should celebrate at least in the time being of justice being served because, and I'm not trying to get Political, because here on Evidence, we are going to try to remain neutral on any kind of stance. But as followers of Jesus, we believe that every person bears the image of God and deserves to be treated as such. And that goes for any kind of issue, but in particular with justice, it's something that we as Christians need to celebrate and actually pursue justice here in this world. I think of Micah 6-8, which is actually on a poster behind Daniel right now, but what does God require of us? It's to seek justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. And so justice was served for Ahmed Arbery, and I'm pretty excited about that.
0: From a, From another perspective, I do have a heart and feel for those that are related or that these three men are their loved ones as well. I agree with justice, but, you know, there's also a, a side of mercy that I feel for them as far as, you know, they deserve what they get, what they've gotten. That's not a question. But there's always that part of me that's like, while they're in there, I hope that they find Jesus and that they find salvation. Yeah. You know, and that's the beauty of Christ is that he can take the most hardened of all criminals and still create them as a new creation and yeah, you know, can still spend eternity with him. So, Absolutely. you know, it's extremely disheartening what all happened with all of that. I can't believe that's two years ago. Yeah, But I don't want that to be lost in there, that their wrongdoings can't be redeemable in God's eyes. Maybe not yeah. in man's, but in God's eyes. But I do agree that that's it is a good thing that justice has been served in that sense. And that, that also paves the way for future instances of the same. So on that note, um, I'm going to lighten it up a little bit, a little bit more. And I just wanted to bring to attention That an Arkansas man is able to hug again after eight years of not being able to hug his loved ones. And that is all thanks to some college students and they created a new tool. And it's really, it doesn't even seem like much. It's like a little strap that wraps around his hand and his wrist and he can hold it with his other hand and just put it over somebody and give them a double armed hug and and a little squeeze. And that was such a big deal. The name is Emily eubanks Cisco. She's an adjunct professor at Arkansas State University. She created a challenge for her occupational therapy assistant students to create a piece of adaptive equipment for her dad. Her dad's name is Kevin Eubanks. He had suffered a stroke eight years ago, and since then he has not been able to give a proper hug to those that he loves. And so she presented her students with the idea, showed a video of him where he was completing daily activities such as dressing himself and his bathroom routine and how he prepares his meals. Students then had a FaceTime interview with Kevin and got to know some of his likes and dislikes such as so much as like fishing. And then he talked about his struggles playing games with his grandkids and even honed in on the fact that he missed hugging again and so the students really honed in on the fact that he was not able to hug his loved ones they made this little small device and he has finally gotten to hug his grandkids and his family for the first time in eight years so i thought that that was extremely precious and i hope that that continues to grow and impacts more and more families as well
2: that's really cool Cool. So I am going all the way to the western part of the United States in South Lake Tahoe, California, which if any of you have ever been there, that is a beautiful, beautiful place. But uh, it's got a lot of like cabins. It's kind of a touristy area. It's also got a lot of wildlife. And the story that I found is about a bear named Hank the Tank, who is a 500 pound plus bear who's been basically getting and breaking into people's homes. You can look this up, there's a ton of photos of seeing like A, the bear, who is just this massive black furball, uh, but then also seeing some of like the windows that he's ended up getting into and stuff like that. So he's had over 112 calls to the local officials saying like, hey, there's a bear in my house. And they have to do this whole thing where they come out there and they like hit, you know, bang around on the back on the outside of the house to get the bear out. But essentially, this bear has just gotten completely desensitized towards people, and he just associates people with like free food. But then there is an HOA there that would not allow a you know bear trash can, even though bears are in the area all over the place in South Lake Tahoe. They wouldn't allow one of those styles of trash cans because they were an eyesore, and so because of that, they end up getting a 500 pound bear that's been breaking down fences and breaking in doors, and you know hitting in these overhead doors and stuff like that. So uh, just kind of a fun story and then i love the fact that his name is hank the tank man that's just what everybody calls him. they've got him tagged and they they are trying to get him uh relocated to a, a full wildlife facility to actually let him you know get away from people basically but they do have to tranquilize them and, and actually move him in order to get him out of that habitat and and so hopefully he then acclimates I mean, the problem with that is that a lot of time wildlife, they don't really acclimate back to actual wildlife whenever they're used to eating in a subdivision all of the time and getting into people's trash and stuff like that. But
0: this is a real life yogi bear. For all, yeah. of our, all of our older, well, lives. and people really
2: should look up <laughs> photos of him because he is a massive bear.
1: Oh, Hank right the now. Tank! Hank the Tank!
0: Yeah.
2: Like, but is there a
1: zoo in Lake Tahoe?
0: I'm not sure. Oh my goodness! <laughs> could,
1: could you imagine like Hank the Tank being a huge exhibit at a zoo, and just put like <laughs> basically like a like a little subdivision in the zoo and just let Hank the tank do his thing.
0: People just bring <laughs> their leftovers, just throw it in there. Too.
1: It's a live Hank the tank experience. <laughs> you, pay <laughs> extra, the you, pay, you pay extra to like live in this house for 24 hours and Hank the <laughs> tank will take your crap. <laughs> I'm
0: so glad you told me to look at the picture. My life is is improved.
2: Yeah, yeah everybody should. That, that's what like stuck <laughs> me on this story. I saw the picture of the bear and I was like, all right, that's, yeah, I'm talking about this story.
1: I looked up a picture now too. And, (laughs) and it's one thing to say a 500 pound bear, but it's another thing to see a 500 pound bear. Oh, man. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> my
0: that's a big fur coat man
2: oh my goodness
1: wow
0: he looks so cuddly all, all
2: the people listening to this on an audio medium are like i wish i could see the bear uh, they just, no, look, just look uh, it up we if all you have, can
0: listen we all to all have in our pockets go look, yeah. at look it.
2: Oh,
1: fantastic man.
0: y'all leave hank alone man that H
1: O A needs to just
0: either get a trash can or leave him
1: or oh. just give him a rental property man <laughs>
0: his own place <laughs> yeah give him some place. protein boys just a little that. spectacle when you drive into the hoa
1: look yeah. throw throw some like old honey in there and just call her a day yeah.
0: yeah and now it's time to talk about it let's talk about it as the part of each episode where we the host will discuss a question or topic referring to christianity and our faith we hope that this segment is informational transforming and encourages you to have a desire to learn more about who god is If you'd like for us to discuss a question that you may have referring to Christianity or religion, feel free to message us on Evidence podcast pages on Facebook and Instagram, or you can even email us at evidencemediagroup at gmail.com. For our Spotify listeners, you can even respond to our public question each week with your own questions, and it will be featured on a future episode. With that said, let's talk about it. This week's question is, is it okay for a Christian to use profanity?
1: You know what? Let's have the host start. So, Daniel, I say you go.
0: Okay. Um, Let me pull up the scriptures. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, is it okay for a Christian to use profanity? From my personal self, I have, as you've all heard in my testimony, I have grown up in a, in a Christian home and have been viewed as the Christian kid. So, I can remember being one of the first cussing like in elementary school because I thought, what does it matter? It's just a word. Like, this is like elementary and a naive child. But then, as I began to grow deeper in my walk with Christ, began to gain more of a reputation of who I am and even a representation of who my family is, I began to decide, and this is even at that young of an age, decide that it's just not worth me potentially ruining any type of reputation or example for a cuss word. I also, now that I've gotten older, I'm very literal. And so when I hear cuss words, I like to like, think like, you know, when people talk about, and I'm going to say, I guess, well, we can, we can, we're going to be on that borderline. I'm going to say that hell is not a cuss word when we're referring to the place. And so when people are saying it's hot as hell or cold as hell or whatever, my instant mind is you have no idea how hot hell is, <laughs> or that makes no sense. That's an oxymoron because hell is not cold. And so there's times that I hear profanity and I'm, I'm just like, You sound so less educated with that. And there's studies that will kind of condone it and say, oh, people that cuss are more clever or more smart or whatever. And I don't know how you back that up. Because in my mind, I'm like, you just use these words. And if you can't get through a sentence without throwing out some type of profanity word, I just think that that makes you look not as educated. But that's me personally. That's my personal thoughts. I'm going to go ahead and turn to scripture. Uh, I'm going to go to the famous verse when it comes to this topic of Ephesians 429 that says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I know that that can be looked at as many different things that can be looked at as do not be derogatory towards anybody else. Do not gossip about anybody else. I think all of that is under the same realm and spectrum of profanity. I think when we are looking at also the word of cussing and we use the word profanity because some people would say profanity and cussing is different. But when we use it, even looking at cussing and it may be not directed at somebody to hurt them, I still feel that that can potentially hurt your own testimony. I also think that whenever you're somewhere that the things that come out of your mouth is also a representation of what's in your heart. If you can't get past a sentence without throwing out cuss words, then what's going on in your own heart as well with that? I think that there are other moments that we allow things into our hearts and our minds, whether it be the movies we watch, the, the songs we listen to, uh, and all of those will play a part into what we are allowing into our own hearts and our own minds. And that will at times come out. I will admit, you know, I have listened to or not even have, I still listen to music that involves profanity, still watch movies that sometimes involves profanity most of the time because it's hard to find a movie without it. But even in my own self, I've gotten to see how when I have making made an intentional effort to not cuss and how I've tried to make an intentional effort to not have that even be a thought that comes to my mind, that it may sound super lame and it's not the manly way of it. But there are situations when we think, oh, it just slipped out because I just smashed my finger with a hammer or somebody pulled out in front of us, right? And we think, oh, that just slipped out. But when I've now made it a habit to where I do not use cussing and do not use profanity, then when those moments happen, it ends up being something super lame sounding, but I haven't slipped up and cussed. And so it's like I'll slam on the brakes because somebody pulls out and it's like sugar, you know, something like that. And I guess the real question is, too, is, is my heart and my mind in the same place no matter what word I say? And I'm going to let you guys maybe talk on some of that. That's not to say any of this is not to say that I have never cussed a day in my life past that point of being a child. Of course we have. There are always moments that I reach frustration and sometimes that's just a a stress reliever and it may not be in front of anybody. It may be in the presence of my own car with no one else around but God. And even then, I still think that he's disappointed of the unwholesome talk that comes from our mouth. So that's my spill on it. And I do have more to say, but I want to hear what you guys have to say as well.
2: I'll go ahead and go next kind of piggybacking on that. And, you know, I think one of the things is obviously here on this platform, we're not going to use any language or curse words for the sake of not wanting to offend people. And and I think that in and of itself kind of will tell you a lot of our opinions on on kind of whether we should use it or not and Ooh. and how to say it you know in front of people because it's like you don't want to say something in front of your mom or your grandmother you know it's like my grandmother listens to this podcast and she's like well that was just filthy it's just, just not you needed. know yeah we, we just don't got your point across that. without saying that exactly it's <laughs> like there were other words and it's like yeah i know there are other words you know it's like but those words filled the point you know i bet
1: your grandma's an awesome person
2: yeah she is she is a great person she's a wonderful person what's your grandma's <laughs> but, name
1: let's give her a shout out
2: so uh, one of them is Reba Joan, and the other one is Judy.
1: So oh, shout, up, out to,
2: shout out to Reba yeah. and Judy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I wanted to bring in some scripture. I mean, uh, Daniel already hit the primary one, but there's a lot of other ones as well. Uh, Colossians 3.8. But now you must also rid yourself of, of all such things as these uh, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Ephesians 5, 4, nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which is out of place, but rather Thanksgiving. Matthew 5, 37, all you need to say is yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You know, and I think as you really look at a lot of scriptures, the point is, what are you putting out? What is the meaning behind what you're saying? You know, Colossians 3, 8 talks about anger, rage, malice, slander, and then it adds filthy language in there as the fifth one. And the point is, like when you're speaking to people, are you speaking to them out of anger? Are you speaking to them to try to cut them down? Are you speaking to them to just try to ruin their day? And are you just saying it like out of a out of a form of malice? And those kind of things, and that kind of speaking to people doesn't really require anything that we would technically classify as like a curse word. You know, it's like there's a, a list of specific words that it's like you're not supposed to say those specific words, and it doesn't really change what your heart is able to entail through the words that you say. I mean, you you can say some pretty brutal things without ever touching any actual curse words. And and really that is what the Bible is talking against. If you really look at the scripture, it's they're not in there and they're like, Don't say the B word, you know. And it's like, that's not in the Bible. It, it's simply not there. And especially looking across languages and across different things. I mean, I even just for the fun of it, I looked up different. Curse words in English. So, like British people use an almost entirely different set of curse words. And there, and then Australia, they kind of have their own, you know, form of curse words that's just within their culture and it just becomes a cultural thing. So, what we think about as profanity or curse words is is really a lot more cultural than it is actually like biblically divine things to say or not to say but i think the real point is how you speak to people because really when you speak to people you should be lifting them up you should be giving them thanks you should be being a loving person to that individual when you speak and if you're not being that kind of person well that's not what the bible teaches so i i think that's kind of where i land on stuff because there are times that you can definitely use curse words like in a sense of humor and then it's like now it may be dark humor, it may be humor that like you don't have, or like Daniel said, there's sometimes that you just stub your toe and something slips out, or something like that. And you know I wouldn't necessarily count those things as a sin to you, but at the same time you do have to be careful. And the Bible does teach us to be blameless, and you also don't want to intentionally offend people. And I think that that's what a lot of people do who want to argue that like, well, cursing's okay. Like, okay, maybe, yeah, you can say those words, but at the same time, you don't want to be offensive to people. The Bible is very blatant about that. And so if, if there are people who find the way that you're speaking or the words that you're speaking to be offensive, then you should change what you're saying. You should change how you're saying things. I live here in New England a lot. And and in New England, like cursing is just, everybody does it. It's very common, you know, up here. And and most of the time, it, it is through humor. It's someone who's using, you know, curse, curse words in a humorous manner. And if you're in this area and the people that you're talking to are also receiving that as humor, well, you know, then what's the what's the real harm there? But then at the same time, if you end up taking a New Englander and you put them down in rural Alabama, it could be a very different c- circumstance. And they can be very offensive very quickly without even necessarily knowing it. Uh, that's also I mean, that's true. You know, just anytime you do cross-cultural stuff is like there are things that you say and you do and you the way you behave. It ends up being very offensive cross-culturally that isn't necessarily offensive in your culture. And I think the language kind of goes in that same realm.
1: Yes and amen to all the things that you guys just said. You guys both brought up Ephesians 4. My translation says, no foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. With everything that we say and do, it should be for the purpose of uplifting others, which is a countercultural way of using our words that if you're aware of the world around you and often this creeps into the church and within christians which is sad but the way that we use our words is a big thing obviously we've talked on this podcast before on let's talk about it segments about how god looks to the heart and god cares about the heart over per se even like what you do or what you say But how we talk matters because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Ultimately, like when you do stub your toe, like there is a level of self-control that you don't have to say fire truck or whatever other words that you fill in there to be transparent, cussing or using the fancy four-letter words. That has never really been something I've personally struggled with. One passage I wanted to bring up was in James chapter 3. It talks about how difficult it is to control the tongue. So it says, And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. And the tongue is a fire, the tongue a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the whole course of life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and curse come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Like I could think today of countless times that I had thought and said things that weren't uplifting and this is to go on a little side tangent and i promise i'll be back but in particular when christians in the political sphere talk about particular presidents presidential candidates talk about government officials talk about school officials like it just it hurts my heart when people talk about image bearers in a way that tears them down and you can disagree with someone's policies without tearing down who they are or even saying negative things. I don't care if you're a Republican, Democrat, independent or part of the birthday party, which is I think Kanye West party. But man, it just it burdens me when I see Christians publicly blasting people and using their words in a way that doesn't uplift but instead tears down. I think it tragically ruins the witness of the follower of Jesus when they constantly bash people. But I do think there is a level of accountability that if someone is acting in a way that is unrighteous, we do have some form of a biblical mandate to call them out on it, but not to do so in hate and yelling mean things about them, but to say, look, the policy that you've made is diminishing the image of God and other people, and the policy you're setting into place is going to lead to this, 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 and this, and know that there's repercussions for that. But you're not using cursing or profane language against them as a person. Last thing I'll say before I let you guys talk because the question, is it okay for Christians to use profanity? My short answer is no, but I try to hold a high standard of holiness and righteousness that hopefully we as followers of Jesus would just not be negative people. And especially this can manifest in the church. If we as followers of Jesus would take seriously this call to speak positively, speak encouragement, speak love into the world, even when it's hard because it is hard, as James 3 said, that the tongue is a restless evil, but that it's a hard work that we as followers of Jesus should do and should do
0: well. Man, you nailed it on. I was I was literally pushing my phone into the screen because I was like, James 3, James 3, that's what I was going to. That was my next little bit. And uh, man, you took it even a step further talking about our leaders and the way that people will talk about people in charge and people that they disagree with, whether it's a leader or just somebody that they know on Facebook. And man, that's so huge to keep this culturally relevant to even our times. Now I've caught myself laughing at it, but when we talk about the, the whole NASCAR fiasco with the let's go Brandon phrase, you know, I thought that, yeah, that's funny. And then I began to think deeper into it and I'm like, that's no different than just saying what they want to say. Right. And man, you talk about being disheartened about it. I mean, I'm going to call it out. Like there was a church in Texas where a video went viral and from the pulpit and majority of the congregation is yelling out, let's go, Brandon, let's go, Brandon. Yeah. yeah. And for those of you that don't know what that means, I'm not going to go into the explanation, but yeah, look it up. But yeah, look it up. <laughs> yeah. You've got Google. You've just looked up Hank, Hank the bear. Yeah. Hank Tank. <laughs> <Same> <laughs> app. Um, but no, I, I mean, that tore my heart out because I'm yeah. like, this is the body of Christ. We should yeah. be building up. We should be, yep encouraging. And yes, I may disagree with policies. I may disagree with certain political aspects of it. This is why we try to keep away from politics because we want to remain non-biased sounding on here. But of course we have our own thoughts and our own opinions of how certain things are and how certain leaders are leading. But with that said, biblically, it talks about we should be praying for our leaders. We should be, you know, God has put them in charge as well. Yeah. Like that may not be who I voted for, and that may not even be the majority vote, but if that's who is in leadership, God has placed them there for this specific time, for this specific season, and for a specific reason. <laughs> and we as Christians and as a church should not be letting our tongues take control and start yelling obscenities at them. Anyway, uh, I'm so glad you, you pulled that, you know, yeah. brought that stop out. And to kind of wrap things up by not putting words into your guy's mouth, but to answer the question, should a Christian use profanity, I would say that all three of us would agree that the answer is no. But it's much deeper than just a few four-letter words. Profanity can be the act of profane jokes. It could be tearing each other down with words that may not be considered cuss words. It could be gossip. It could be many different things that are not encouraging, edifying, or lifting others up. And that, in its own, is profane. I also wanted to talk about one more thing that the Bible talks about as profanity. And there's no discussion to be had here, but it's the one thing that the Bible tells you not to do, which is to not say the Lord's name in vain or not to use the Lord's name in vain. And so I wanted to speak that part as well and let that be known. That's the only thing that it really talks about. Otherwise, it is culturally. And if there are words that are not perceived as good language... Because it is derogatory, or it is tearing another one down, or it's just an unclean word to use, that is going to hurt your own testimony, and that could also potentially hurt others' testimonies. And so are we going to condone that here on this podcast? No. Um, So the answer of this question, I would say for all three of us, we would all agree is, should a Christian use profanity? No, because it is not edifying, it is not encouraging, and it is not lifting others up but rather tearing them down. Our special guest this week is the founder and lead pastor of Heart and Soul Church here in Knoxville, Tennessee. He is a husband to Sarah and a father of two boys with a girl on the way. He also has a podcast of his own called Into the Night, and he is my pastor, Austin Coleman.
3: What's up? Yes. What's up? (laughs) All right. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for having me, man. And uh, look forward to it. I actually grew up as a pastor's kid and that's always fun. Got to love pastor's kids and love the whole, the whole thing. So really I've been in ministry for my whole 30 years of existence. And the good thing about being a pastor's kid is you get to see the good, the bad, the ugly, and all the in-between. And unfortunately, For most of my life, it was not a whole lot of good and a lot more ugly. I remember growing up, man, by the time I was probably 11, I had walked an aisle 42 and a half times. I'd been baptized in as many different baptismal pools as you could find. It was just over and over. I remember my first baptism, we had a party at my parents' house afterwards, the parsonage, so right next door to the church. And I had a cake and the whole nine yards and knew all about the stories of God, knew all about the stories of the Bible, knew all about the stories of Jesus, but 100% did not know Jesus. Knew everything in my head, but it was just, it had never really connected in my heart. I was just a good kid, obedient to my parents and listened to my parents. And there was really in my mind, because I knew it in my head, there was really no need for me to have it in my heart. Like I didn't make that connection until one day I was 13 and we went on a student trip. And I don't know if you've ever seen, (laughs) I don't know if you've ever seen judgment houses, but this is like a backwoods Baptist old school kind of thing.
0: Oh, yeah. It's like the Halloween thing, right? Where it's like, yeah, I've I've called them like hell houses and stuff as well. Oh,
3: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So literally their entire goal is to quite literally scare the hell out of you. So we went to one of those and we walk in. It's like this old gymnasium and they retrofit it and they turned it into an end times like rapture kind of thing. That was one of them. And then uh, the other one that we went through was like you walk into this gym and it's a house and the family is having dinner and The student gets mad at the mom and he's like, I'm gone. And he gets in his car and he drives away. And then you walk to your next scene. And the next scene is, of course, the car has crashed and the teenager has died. And everyone's like crying over the teenager. Then you walk to the next scene and you realize, oh, the teenager didn't know Jesus. And so when you walk into the next scene, it's literally like they've got heaters in there and you are now in hell. And so like, this is stuff that little, little Baptist churches in West Tennessee, man, they did it every summer. So we went to this and I walked through hell and then we walked through heaven. And at the end, it's just like, Hey, you don't want to die and go to hell. Do you? Everyone's like, no, I don't want to go to hell. You know, like, of course not. And so weirdest thing, man, is I legitimately felt conviction from the Holy Spirit that I did not know Jesus. And I went and talked to a little dude that was probably 95. Like he'd been at every judgment house since Noah. And he's back there telling us or whatever. And he sits down with me. My dad is like the most evangelistic guy that I know. So every Sunday, my dad would preach Jesus and the gospel. And it was very clear and all that. But when this little old man shared the gospel with me, it's like something just kind of clicked. That night, man, I gave my life to the Lord and started to actually follow him. It wasn't just a head thing, but it was a heart thing. And so I tell people jokingly that, I, I got the hell scared out of me, I guess, but it was really just the Holy Spirit just used that. And I don't know how wise judgment houses are in the big scheme of things, but it's, it's what God used to really capture my heart and uh, arrest my soul and got baptized right after that and went throughout high school from then. And when I was 16, went to a student camp and at the student camp, it was another one of those moments where it's just like, you know, you read scripture and it's great to read scripture. And like, I don't think that's vital in the believer's life and all that. But man, there's moments where just the Lord speaks to you and, you know, your podcast evidence. Like there's no denying someone's testimony, no denying like the experience that God has given. And man, at that student camp, I didn't know what was going on, but I did know that uh, the Lord was was trying to speak to me again. And this time was more in lines with like, okay, Austin, you know me, you're following me, but now I want you to actually be in ministry full time. And I started crying because I'm a pastor's kid. And it wasn't because I was like, oh God, you're so good. It was like, oh God, why? (laughs) Because being raised in a pastor's home and it was small Southern Baptist churches, mostly, you know, demon deacons and the whole nine yards. And so I didn't want anything to do with that. I wanted to be a doctor and make like lots of money or something. And the Lord had other plans. Like I'm the kind of guy that if I feel like God's calling me to do something or like even a goal or anything like that, I'm trying to like work backwards. How do I get to that? So I started doing that. Came across Liberty University as I was looking at colleges and stuff. My dad went there his freshman year and talked about it my entire life, how he wished he could have gone back, but he didn't have the money. Went there freshman year, 2010. And while at Liberty, God just continued to just impress on my heart what exactly he wanted me to do. And I've not heard the audible voice of God or seen waters parted or anything like that. But man, uh, I remember sitting in a classroom in 2010 and just knowing that beyond a shadow of a doubt, the Holy Spirit was just speaking to me in the middle of a class that one day he wanted me to start a church to reach people that didn't know him. And I didn't know what that was about. I didn't really know what that meant or what that entailed. My dad had been a pastor of existing churches my whole life. 2010 to 2014, went through college, finished up my seminary there in church planting and evangelism. I remember being in Brooklyn, New York for two summers for internships with church plants. And those two summers really were some of the most impactful in my life. Some of the most intentional times where the evidence of God's grace in my own life started to show up even more. Honestly, it was the weirdest thing. The second summer I was there, it was the evidence of the Lord and His grace in my life was really seen through what I would even say like evidence of like demonic attack in my life. And I'd never really experienced that before. And I remember being in New York and calling my dad and being like, dad, and I this is not like something I would normally do. <laughs> and just saying dad will you pray for me like it just feels like i don't know what this is but there's like something that is just pressing like doesn't want me to be here and do this church planting thing so that that went on for like eight ten weeks during that summer The Lord really used it to show me spiritual warfare and not just praying and reading your Bible. And you have all these little cliche things that are just like, this is what good Christians do. I heard one guy say, he felt the Lord tell him one time, you will fight or you will be destroyed. (laughs) And It was almost one of those moments where it's like, all right, well, this is a war that is not of flesh and blood, and we're going to fight this thing out by the power of the Holy Spirit. That was huge just in my own spiritual growth and my own spiritual life. Left that internship with refreshed view of, I guess, like even spirituality, really. Moved from there. Sarah and I, we got married. We moved to Clinton, Tennessee for a few months. I was a student pastor there. It was great. Loved that church. And my dad called us a few months in and asked if we wanted to help them start SoulQuest in West Tennessee. So we said, man, like what better way to learn how to start a church than to just go start a church. We moved from East Tennessee to West Tennessee where I was born and raised. And um, we worked at SoulQuest Church there in West Tennessee. It's still blowing and going and seeing amazing things happen. I was the operations pastor there. Uh, honestly, the the hundreds and really like thousands of people that were impacted there, people that had changed just completely broken through the ministry there at SoulQuest and just meeting Jesus is just nothing short of miraculous, really. And in fact, some of the people that ended up moving to Knoxville to help us start Heart and Soul, their lives were, were changed first at, at SoulQuest. So we were there for six years. Everything was going great. My dad was talking succession and what that looks like and like me taking over the church and him kind of going back into evangelism and traveling and all that kind of thing. And honestly, we were just getting comfortable. And I remember driving down the road one day with Sarah and my son Cash, and I just started to man cry. And it's like, you know, the lump in your throat and the single tear down your cheek. Sarah's looking at me like I'm crazy because I don't really cry that much. So she was looking at me and she's super encouraging. She's trying to encourage me. She's trying to make sure everything's okay. We had just had a great day. It wasn't anything wrong. I looked at her and I told her what was going on in my life. I just said, man, it just feels like nobody wants me. Like that was just the honest feeling in the moment. She tried to encourage me and it just didn't hit. So I went to my second option, which probably should have been my first option. Went to the Lord and just said, God, it just feels like nobody wants me. Feels like I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I just don't know where to go. And in that moment, it was abundantly clear to me that the Holy Spirit just dropped a thought in my mind. And it was simply, and nobody else wants you because I do and I've got something very specific planned for you. This was one of those rare moments in my life where it's just like, boom, he told us what to do. And I knew immediately when the Holy Spirit dropped that thought in my mind, that was the Lord releasing us to go start a brand new church. So we got home that night and I told Sarah, I think it's time to go start a church. And Sarah also has her own story, feeling called to start a church and that kind of thing. But she was on board so I did what everybody does when you feel like you've heard from the Lord. I just got on Facebook and started scrolling. and I come across this article. I'm a huge Tennessee Vols fan, which I know Daniel also is.. Oh, don't. Um, <laughs> and so I come across this article for us Tennessee fans that basically said, you know, that Tennessee's not gonna be as good as we think. Which happens every July of every year. And I jokingly said to Sarah, hey, Sarah, what about Knoxville? We lived in Clinton. and This was a complete joke, by the way. And Sarah looks at me and she just lights up and she's like, oh my gosh, yes. Like I love Knoxville. When we lived in Clinton, we spent more time in Knoxville than we did in our home in Clinton. Because if you've ever been to Clinton, you know why. Uh, <laughs> so... I pitched that to her and she like lit up and was excited about it. And I was like, pause, timeout. That was a joke. No, I don't want to start a church in Knoxville. I know how many churches are in Knoxville. I know there's some good churches in Knoxville. So I'm trying to go to Brooklyn, New York or DC or, you know, Syracuse or Annapolis, Maryland or Baltimore. I'm trying to go somewhere where there's not a lot of churches and there's definitely not any good church. We started talking about it and Sarah was just so excited about Knoxville that I said, okay, well, I'll do some research. Come across this research, as I'm just Googling, that says that less than 80% of people in the Knoxville, Knox County metro area have a church home at all. And the less than 20% that do attend church 1.5 times per month. And so when I first saw that stat, it really blew me away. And I thought, man, like there's a need, there's an opportunity. And what better place to do that than Knoxville, Tennessee, where everybody knows about Jesus, but obviously not everybody knows Jesus. And so that was pre-pandemic stats. And so now we know, man, that that number is probably over 90% of people don't go to church. Even the largest churches, especially the largest churches, have lost the most people. And those people just aren't coming back. So we decided actually that evening, man, that we would start a brand new life-giving church in Knoxville, Tennessee, to reach people far from God. And the way we like to say it is filling heaven from Knoxville. You know, it was like a fire hydrant was like overflowing. And the Lord said, all right, now's the time to go. And that had been building since 2010 when I felt like the Lord called me to start a church initially. So it just all came out at once. And so that same night, we knew it was Heart and Soul Church. We knew the vision, we knew the values, we knew timelines and budgets, websites, all the things. All those things like came out that night because it was like the Lord had just been building that in us over the course of a decade until finally it was just time to go. We told my parents like the week After they were not happy, my sister did not talk to me for a few weeks. She was very upset because she is very family oriented. So this was the worst thing I could do is leave the family. My dad was heartbroken because it was his dream that I would take the church or whatever. My mom was just like, you got to do what the Lord tells you to do. We sold our house the next month, moved in with my family while Sarah was a few weeks pregnant with our second born, Kobe. So we lived upstairs with my parents from, say, August till March of 2020. And Sarah, while we were there, broke her foot coming down the steps. So that was fun. We, uh, we We had actually in the plans, and this is another piece of evidence of just the Lord's favor and the Lord doing things, is we actually committed to stay at SoulQuest through Easter, which was in April. Sarah came to me and she said, "Austin, I really think if we're going to do this, we need to go sooner." I said, "Okay, absolutely. I'm I'm cool with that." And so we ended up moving the date from April up to March 1st to move to to Knoxville. We just thought, ah, oh, month, you know, that'd be great to get boots on the ground for an extra month. We had no idea, like the rest of the world, that the world was going to shut down. And had we waited till April, Sarah is very confident that we would have never moved, just because. It would have been so incredibly scary to do something like that. So February first, we closed on the house in Knoxville. February fourth, two 4, 24 we had Kobe. Then March first, I preached at Soul Quest like our going away thing. I prayed over the team that was moving. We had five or six families from West Tennessee and Maryland move to Knoxville to be a part of the team to help us start the church. And then that evening, we drive to Knoxville. It's gonna be awesome. We have this awesome plan about how we're gonna start the church. And then mid March, your boy President Trump coming on the screen and just saying it's over. When he said that, we Literally thought it was over <laughs> and we were like, what have we done? We just bought a house with no job, no money besides what we had saved living with my parents. So we started to freak out. We had a newborn baby, no family, no friends, really. Most of the team had not moved to Knoxville yet. So we fully expected and assumed that none of them would move because of the pandemic. Ended up, they all did still move, which was just crazy in and of itself. So we had a decision to make. We either felt like God really called us to do this for such a time as this, or we were going to just say, all right, this is a sign that the Lord doesn't want us to do it. And we didn't really know what to do. (laughs) And so we ended up just saying, all right, well, if the Lord sent us here and the Lord knew this was going to happen, God can do whatever he wants to do then we're just going to do as much as we can and leave the results up to God and just see what happens. We started doing uh, what we could on social media. We started doing Zoom calls. We started doing FaceTime calls with people. We would get connected with people on social media, and then we would ask them to join the launch team to help us start the church. And Sarah and I would get on FaceTimes. And I kid you not, man, we had over 100 FaceTime calls with people telling them about the church, and I remember getting to August of 2020, right before we were planning on launching in September, and we get to September, didn't know how things were going to go, and the Lord just continued to do what he does and provide in ways that only he can provide and had about 100 people join us to to help us launch the church. And September 20th, 2020, we launched and haven't missed a Sunday since, been going Since then, we had 20 people coming to the Lord that day, which was to us just like confirmation that he did send us for such a time as this and equipped us to do what he wanted us to do. And not necessarily what we wanted to do, but what God wanted us to do. And I'm just now looking back, I'm I'm grateful that we had to rely on him for that because it grew our faith, it grew my faith and what, what is possible with God.
0: It's game time. Although February will be over when this episode is posted, we want to honor the observance of Black History Month here on the Evidence Podcast. We wanted to give a shout out to the many heroes throughout time that have fought for racial equality, while many have endured much suffering so that all people, no matter their skin color, could be seen as equal and rights could be shared. We understand that our country is not perfect today and much work is still needed to be done. But we, at the very least, wanted to honor those who have helped make the United States better today for all people. With the month of March just starting, it is labeled as Women's History Month. So between the two months starting and ending, we wanted to have a game based on Black women of history. This week's game is a traditional multiple choice quiz. Our questions are from the Women's and Gender Department of Texas Tech University. You can access the same questions and more from their website. Each question will be describing an achievement of a historical black woman. There are four choices per question, but only one answer will be the heroic woman that fits the description. I'm going to have to tell you guys, this is going to be the hardest pop quiz that you've ever had in your life. And that's unfortunate because of our education system. Yeah.
2: And we're going to record it and release it to everyone.
0: That's right. Yes. So you do, have F's. A, <laughs> you do have a 25% chance and I hope that our listeners play along. And this is not so much about what we know, but more about learning. I had a good yes. time looking these up and making this game. I like history and building building historical knowledge. We're going to have a winner, but I think we all win just by, by <laughs> learning a thing or two here today. No, no, there's one winner. We don't all win.
2: We <laughs> all crack. win. It's not a participation trophy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Question number one, Jordan. All right. Who was the first Black female newspaper publisher and editor in North America. She was actually located in Ontario, Canada. She was also the first Black woman to enroll in law school. And shout out to Howard University for letting that happen. Was it A, Catherine Dunham, B, Marion Wright Edelman, C, Alice Ball, or D, Mary Ann Shad Carey?
1: I'm going to go with option B.
0: B, that is Marion Wright Edelman. And that is incorrect. JT, would you like to steal?
2: In that case, I am going to go with D.
0: It is correct. Mary Ann Shad Carey was the first black female newspaper publisher and editor in North America. And she is also the first black woman to enroll in law school. All right, JT, you're up one to zero. It's your turn on question number two. Who was the first black woman in the world to earn a pilot's license? And she was a barnstorming aviator who performed daredevil tricks. Was it A, Maya Angelo? B Bessie Coleman? C, Josephine Baker, or D. Daisy Lee May Bates.
2: I'm gonna go with C Baker.
0: C. Josephine Baker is incorrect. Oh. Jordan, would you like to still?
1: I'm gonna go with option B.
0: It is Bessie Coleman. So it's all Coleman. tied up, one to one. Moving on to question number three, Jordan. This is you have priority on this one. Who was the first Black Congresswoman, beginning in 1968, who in 1972 ran for president and won 151 delegates at the Democratic convention? Hmm. Was it A. Patricia Roberts Harris, B. Hazel Harrison? c shirley chisholm or d maria stewart i'm gonna go with a that is incorrect jt if you'd like to still, you have your mm. choice between b hazel harrison c shirley chisholm or d maria stewart
2: see i was gonna go with a as well but since yeah. he didn't get that then i'm gonna go with c
0: <laughs> it is c shirley All right. chisholm <laughs>
1: Really, we're just going from 25% chance to 33%. So yeah. we're just giving each other greater odds.
0: That's yeah. right. All right, JC, question tell the four. Secret. <laughs> Who was the first black woman to win a tennis championship at Wimbledon and at the U.S. Open with all of your sports? Uh, I was about to say, <laughs> this, is,
2: this is not the right question for me.
0: <laughs> uh, was it A, Althea Gibson? B, Venus Williams? C, her sister Serena Williams, or D, Enith Brigitha? I'm going to go with B. Venus Williams?
2: Yes, Venus Williams.
0: That is incorrect. Jordan, would you like to take a steal?
1: Since he answered one of the Williams sisters, I don't think it's the other ones because I think he guessed Venus. So I don't think it's Serena. So I'm going to go with option D.
0: Enith Bergitha. Yeah. It is incorrect. Dang it is althea gibson was the first black woman to win a tennis championship at wimbledon and at the u.s open nice fun fact she also won the french open at one point in her career as well and then she may have been the first black woman to do that i'm not sure all right so no one got a point on that one so jt you are still ahead but it is jordan's turn on question number five who was the first black woman to write a broadway play in 1959 which was made into a movie in 1961 by the name of a raisin in the sun hmm. is it a lorraine hansbury b sojourner truth c nanny burrows or d maggie lena walker
1: i'm gonna go with c that
0: is incorrect jt for the steal. i'm gonna go with b sojourner Also incorrect. The actual Ah. answer is Lorraine Hansberry. That was A. Mm. This is JT's question. He's still up two to one. Who was the first woman of color to go into space on the shuttle Endeavor in 1992? Was it A, Charlotte Ray, B, Oprah Winfrey, C, Anna Cooper, or D, Dr. Mae Jemison? I think D, Dr. Dr. Mae Jemison. Yeah. What made you think it was not Oprah Winfrey?
2: Primarily because she's Oprah. Oh, that's fair. But she, she's I'm, also got the money for it, though. Oh, yeah. She'll go into space in like the next five to ten years. with And, lasers, then, but, us. and
0: then we'll yeah. all get a spaceship. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we'll it all was get the best spaceship. experience of her yeah. All that to say is that is correct. Dr. Mae Jemison was the yeah. first woman of color to go into space. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. All right, Jordan. You're down three to one, so you can't catch up right now, but you'll make it happen. I believe in you. Yep. Question number seven. Who was the first black woman lawyer in the U.S. and the first woman admitted to the District of Columbia Bar in 1872? Hmm. Was it A, Jackie Joyner Kersey? B, Mary Jane Patterson? C, Charlotte Ray? Or D, Maria Louise Baldwin?
1: I'm going to go with C because I know for sure it's not A.
0: That was a great one. Charlotte Ray is the correct answer. Mm-hmm. I'm That's back. I'm and Jackie back Joyner. In
1: Jackie Joyner-Kersey was for sure an Olympian.
0: Hey, there you go. So, hey, I knew that one. You knew that. Hey, look at me go. <laughs> All right, JT, number eight who was a conductor on the Underground Railroad and secured the freedom of at least 300 enslaved people. She made 19 trips into the South over 10 years and served as a spy and a scout for the Union Army. Was it A, Rosa Parks, B, Harriet Tubman, C, Ruth Jean Simmons, or D, Alma Woodsey Thomas? Okay,
2: I feel like I'm going to get crucified if I don't you have so the correct a, answer for this a one.
0: rosa parks that is incorrect no i didn't say yeah huh. you said a you said i didn't a. say anything oh, i didn't well, say a you, I heard you threw a. in
2: a canadian a, a. hey oh, well, i didn't say bad. a i'm still i was I, gonna go with b i was gonna go with tutman oh harriet Tubman.
0: well i don't know what to do in this situation
1: no that that's correct we'll give it to him
0: yeah all right so i didn't say, say a okay just say that you're going with b
2: yeah i'm going with b
0: that is correct Fun fact, did you know that her born name is not actually Harriet Tubman? It is no. Araminta Ross. Aramenta. I, mm. I assume that's right. I, I may be butchering a lot of names on here, but that's what it looks like to me. Mm. I thought that was cool. I read that too. Yeah. Jordan, your yep. final question here, unless you get a steal. Who helped Black artists and disadvantaged children while winning 13 Grammys and being honored as the first lady of song? Was it A, Ella Jane Fitzgerald B Billy holiday C Aretha Franklin or D Bessie Smith.
1: I'm going to go with a
0: Ella Jane Fitzgerald. You are correct, sir. All right, JT. Don't lose it here. The score is four to three. Mm. This is the final question. If you get the question, you of course, win. if you miss it, Jordan can still, and we will end in a tie. Who was the first African-American woman to become an ordained minister? She was a lawyer who helped found the first legal periodical about women's rights and co-founded the National Organization of Women. Was it A, Michelle Obama, B, Madam C.J. Walker, C, Johnita Cole, or D, Polly Murray?
2: Go with B, Madam Walker.
0: Madam CJ Walker is the wrong answer. Oh man. So Jordan, you can make the steal here. Is it A, Michelle Obama? C, Johnita Cole, or D, Pauly Murray?
1: I'm gonna go with C.
0: Johnita Cole. That is incorrect. The answer was (laughs) Pauly Murray. Oh,
1: it was michelle obama. Oh, man.
0: so i figured that no one would take michelle obama's bait there but no. Nope. man, i was rooting for a tie here but jt you walk away with today's winning of Nothing. no money whatsoever. <laughs> no nope. but you can nope. go to sleep tonight with the pride of knowing that you knew four of the 10 questions that we had on today's game of historical black women trivia. Well, congratulations man thanks man that wasn't so bad right y'all did okay
2: no yeah yeah we did better than i thought we would to yeah. be honest with you.
0: multiple choice helps but i wasn't yeah, just gonna have you yeah. slinging names out there yeah. but, but also like
2: as you as you started going into the questions i was like okay yeah i have heard a lot more of those names than i thought i had yeah,
0: yeah. Um, you heard like the names the, but it's like i don't remember what the names are for <laughs> right yeah. yeah
2: and it's like once you put the facts and the names together then it's like oh yeah it's that person you know yeah i yeah. did that yeah yeah
0: We would hate to end this episode without giving a quick evidence recommends from each of us hosts. Jordan, what are you recommending this week?
2: Yeah,
1: so one of my favorite bands is King's Kaleidoscope, and they just announced they're back on tour with the Baptized Imagination Tour. You can go to kingskaleidoscope.com to buy tickets for a city near you. Me and a friend are planning on going to the show in Indianapolis, so if any of you are in that area and want to go to the show and meet one of the co-hosts of the evidence podcast i would love to meet you there but not their show is one of the best i've ever been to so if you get the chance to go out and hear them perform that would be awesome
2: so i'm actually also going to recommend a piece of music it's 100 secular so don't think anything other than the fact that it's secular but it's uh, evergrey is the band and specifically their newest album, which is Escape of the Phoenix, came out in 2001. It's been a great album. I've been kind of jamming on it ever since it came out. I've, I've been following them for years. They are more on the hard rock scene, but still at the same time, great music. Even if you don't know if you would like hard rock or not, I would give like their full album a listen uh, because they've got some really beautiful stuff in there, and you might find that you like it more than you think that you do. So.
0: So my recommendation this week is going to be another practice of something that you can do. And especially as Christians, just consistent tithing. And for people that may not be Christians, then maybe it's just consistent giving. But the reason I put that on there is as many of our listeners and you you guys as my host know, I have been unemployed for the last like three months at this current moment. And so there have been aspects of that that's been hard. But felt challenged by God much farther than just my time of unemployment, but for the last like two years to be consistent in tithing. And I've never really understood that. And I hate how churches always seem like they're asking for money. So I was always kind of turned against it. But I decided to take that leap and do that. And the reason I say that is because how much God has shown up in this time. And it's been really cool just to be completely transparent that our bank account has really remained the same or has actually grown at certain times throughout this time of me having less money even coming in in our family. So it's been really cool to see how God's been faithful in that. And I'm sure tithing will be a topic of discussion one week at some point, but that's just my recommendation just through my own personal practices and something that I've just been seeing God be so faithful with is just consistent tithing to the church and just being generous with the blessings that you have in your life. We want to give a special thank you to Pastor Austin Coleman for joining us today. If you're in the area of Knoxville, Tennessee, and are currently looking for community, belonging, or a church home, come be my guest and help fill heaven from Knoxville at Heart and Soul Church every Sunday, currently located in Bearden High School. You can also listen to past sermons and find out more about Heart and Soul Church at their website, heartandsoul.church, or follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and even TikTok. And that's all for this week's episode. I'm Daniel Brooks. I'm Jordan Lang. I'm JT Shavers. And you've been listening to Evidence. Thanks for lending us your ears. If you like what you've heard, give us a rating and a review.
1: If you didn't like what you hear, either way, we're glad that you stuck around.
2: Still give it a review. We appreciate any kind of feedback you could give us. Also, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. See you guys next week. Ciao. (laughs) Ciao.
3: (laughs)
0: This has been an Evidence Media Podcast.